Awesome. We have been uh, working on a series here called Connecting with God and looking at uh, just various ways the church is connected with God and usually in every message has been a little bit of history of how the church has used that method to connect with God and uh, we're going to talk about prayer today. Next week we're going to talk about some of how the church has used prayer throughout church history uh, but we're just going to look more at the sort of the theology of prayer today and, and often a lot of people have for you know, New Year's resolutions, if you do that thing, or at least goals, you know, you know, I want to pray more this year. And so, you know, often we've actually done a series on prayer in, in January. Uh, what is prayer? Um, I mean, basically, at the simplest level, prayer is communicating with God, and it doesn't have to be verbal. It can be, you can just pray in your head. In fact, there's parts in the Bible where it just talks about, like Isaac, just he prayed in his heart, and God heard him. You don't have to pray out loud, but Prayer is basically communication, verbal or nonverbal. Uh, one of my favorite definitions of prayer is that prayer is simply an outpouring of your heart to God and then making room in your life to hear back from Him. Prayer is how we see heaven invade earth. It's what opens the floodgates for God to come down and be involved in our everyday circumstances. And again, it has to do with communication. It, it, is, it opens doors for God to work in our life. And throughout church history, it has just been a very, very important part of our life and, and connecting with, with God. And we see prayer all over the scripture. Depending on the translation, uh, ESV, you see the word prayer about 316 times, all the way down to the King James, who kind of wins out about 400 and, or eight, uh, 508 times uh, prayer is mentioned. And you might wonder even why, like why <laughs> do some Bibles have prayer mentioned more than others? Well, it depends on how it's translated. It depends on the words that they use and how they translate them. Again, there's always a little bit of interpretation uh, done. And, you know, one, some might, someone say, God, someone spoke to God. And another translation might say they prayed to God. And so they'll get a vote for the word prayer in that version. Uh, but it's mentioned a lot in Scripture because prayer is something that is to be an essential part of our life uh, with, with God. And right from the beginning, the very first book of the Bible, we see folks praying to God. Abraham prayed to God, and we hear uh, people's prayers being answered. In Genesis 30, where it says, God answered Leah's prayer. And right from the beginning, we see this interaction where people are asking God, are talking to God, and God speaking back to them and receiving answers to prayer. Uh, in the Psalms, we see uh, the ups and downs of prayer. The, the joys of prayers and, and the hardships of prayer. And we see the joy of prayer mentioned like in Psalm 34 where it says, I prayed to the Lord and he answered me and he freed me from all my fears. Or Psalm 65, you faithfully answered uh, our prayers with awesome deeds. And, and we have those moments with prayer where we've been praying for a miracle or we've been praying for a breakthrough or we've been praying and, and God answers that prayer and, and we're so thrilled and we're excited and we're filled with joy and and Psalms mentions the joy of answered prayer. But the Psalms is also a very human book. And it mentions the, the awkwardness of waiting for an answer from God. Like Psalm 52 where it says, Please listen and answer me, for I am overwhelmed by my troubles. Or Psalm 77, When I was in deep trouble, I searched for the Lord. All night long I prayed His hands lift, with hands lifted towards heaven, but my soul was not comforted. And... And we know those experiences of just waiting in prayer for an answer and struggling in prayer and, and hoping to maybe sense the presence of God, but maybe in that moment we don't feel comforted. And, and the Psalms talks about the, 
the awkwardness of waiting for prayer. And the Psalms also talk about the pain and mystery of unanswered prayer. Um, we love the joys of answered prayer, but we also know, every one of us, at least if you pray, you know the pain of not having a prayer answered. Um, it's in Psalm 22 where it says, Every day I call to you, my God, but you do not answer. Every night I lift my voice, but I find no relief. And I'm thankful those verses in there. Also, I think I would think I'd be like a bad Christian or something. Because <laughs> uh, sometimes you pray and you don't get an answer. You, it doesn't turn out the way you hope. And, uh, and, and folks experience that in the scripture. They, they have the whole gamut of human life and prayer from the joys of receiving miracles to the pain of not having the answer they wanted. Then you go to the New Testament and we see Jesus, uh, our model, our example, our savior. This guy, he prays a lot. And that should say something about prayer and the importance of prayer because Jesus I mean, his ministry really was only three years, two years, depending on what scholars you speak to. And, and, and he prayed a lot. And you think if time was short, you'd do the most important things. And he prays a lot, like Psalm or uh, Luke chapter 5 says, Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. Or Luke 6, uh, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray and he prayed to God all night. Or Mark 11, and this is where he's trying to bring prayer back into the life of the folks in those days. He, he said to them, this is the, the religious leaders of the temple, the scriptures declare my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. And, and Jesus was serious about prayer and he modeled it so much that the disciples came up to him one day and it was, it was like, Jesus, would you teach us how to pray? They, they saw something in Jesus that he was so saturated in prayer that they wanted to learn from him how to pray. And then we get to the early church and they seem to carry on this theme that Jesus left them with, with just being in prayer a whole lot. Like Acts chapter one, it says of the early church, they all met together and were constantly united in prayer. Uh, we probably can't say that very much in the modern day church, that we were constantly united and constantly joined together in prayer. I, I don't think we could say that here. We try to pray a lot and we have prayer folks and we do pray, but uh, but it was different back then. I mean, they, they were really serious about prayer. Acts chapter 2. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, which we just did. And then it says, and to prayer, that they devoted themselves to prayer. And they saturated themselves in prayer because they knew it was an important part of our connection with God and an important part of, of living out our Christian life. And there's a couple of reasons why they prayed a lot. First of all, prayer is connection with God. I mean, if I talk to you and you talk back to me in that communication, we're, we're connecting with each other. And one of the simplest ways to connect with God is just to talk to Him and to speak to Him. And it doesn't matter how you talk to Him, uh, whether that's in lovely, friendly tones or even in the Psalms, you see some people voicing anger at God. When you're talking to Him, you're connecting with Him. And and eventually you can develop the ability to even hear God as he speaks into your spirit in, in that still small voice or you see him through uh, various things, visions, or just in circumstances. You hear God communicating back and, and that's connection with him and that's all prayer. As it says in 1 Thessalonians that we are to pray continually. It doesn't mean that we have to be talking to God out loud all day else people would think we're crazy. But you can just be... Just recognizing the presence of God is a, is a form of prayer. 
being just aware of his presence throughout the day is connecting with, with God. Uh, we also see, I think one of the reasons Jesus prayed a lot, one of the reasons we see the early church prayed a lot, is that miracles sometimes flow out of prayer. And we see this all throughout church history. We see it today in today's world. We see it in Jesus' ministry where this verse in Ephesians says, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. And certainly that applies to the idea of prayer. Sometimes when you pray, uh, these incredible miracles can happen. And now we all probably wish it would happen more. <laughs> I mean, I've prayed for lots of different things and no miracle happened, but there have been times when, when you do pray and miracles do happen. And statistically, it's just the way it is. The more you pray, the more miracles you will see happen. The less you pray, the less miracles you will see happen. We see, uh, again, throughout the Bible, we see these miracles. In the Old Testament, here's just one example. In Isaiah, this is uh, King Hezekiah. He receives a nasty letter from the Assyrians who were like the head honchos of the day and they were sweeping through the nations, wiping out everybody. Uh, they were nasty. And he sends a, the Assyrians sent a letter to Hezekiah saying, you're next. And so in Isaiah 37, it says, after Hezekiah received the letter from messengers and read it, he went up to the Lord's temple and spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed this prayer before the Lord. O Lord of heaven's armies, God of Israel, you who are enthroned between the mighty cherubim, you alone are God of all the kingdoms of the earth. You alone created the heavens and the earth. Bend down, O Lord, and listen. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Listen to Shennacherib's words of defiance against the living God. It is true, Lord, that the kings of Assyria have destroyed all these nations and they have thrown the gods of these nations into the fire and burned them. Now, O Lord, our God, rescue us from his power. Then all the kingdoms of the earth will know that you alone, O Lord, or God. And, and so this prayer is recorded. And most likely, uh, he prayed more than just that. But I love the very next verse says, Then Isaiah, son of Amos, he's the prophet of the day, sent this message to Hezekiah. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Because you prayed about the king of Shennacherib of Assyria... And he goes on to say that they will be delivered. They'll be able to, one of the only cities that was actually delivered. But Isaiah the prophet says, because you prayed. And the question is, well, what if he didn't pray? And of course, the question is, what if we don't pray? But there seems to be something about prayer that sometimes unlocks miracles. And it's just this theme we see all through the Old Testament, all through the New Testament. We see, for instance, in Acts chapter 12, it says, while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. And what happens? This miracle happens. This angel shows up and Peter is delivered from prison. And it seems to be related to the fact that the church was earnestly praying for him. That's how, how it's laid out in Acts chapter 12 or Acts chapter 28, where it says, uh, Publius's uh, father was ill with fever and dysentery. Uh, Paul went in and prayed for him. And laying his hands on him, he healed him. And again, we see this theme throughout the scriptures of people praying for sick people and healings happening at some times. And it seems to be related to prayer that the more people pray, the more miracles you see. In fact, there's this recipe in James chapter 5 for prayer and miracles. It says, are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any... Uh, of you sick, 
You should call for the elders of the church, and that doesn't just mean the leadership, that just means anybody who is mature and walking with Jesus and has a heart for Jesus. Could We have the whole prayer team and folks like that. Uh, you should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. I mean, this is right in the scriptures, and, 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 and we see that in the, the book of uh, the New Testament. We see that in the Old Testament. We see that in church history. We see it today that folks sometimes are healed through prayer and miracles are released. About Edmund Tang, uh, talking about China, says according to some surveys, 90% of new believers cite healing as a reason for their conversion. This is especially true in the countryside where medical facilities are often inadequate or non-existent. Uh, from the Oxford Center of Mission Studies, uh, Dr. Julia Ma said, a Baptist church in India grew from six members to more than 600 in just over a year because of healings. In Ethiopia, more than 80% of believers surveyed in a Lutheran church contributed their conversions to healings or exorcisms. In Brazil, many poor people lack adequate health care and they're attracted to Christianity when they see healings. 86% of Brazilian Pentecostals said they have had an experience of divine healing. In Argentina, healing is by far the primary tool for evangelism and church growth. And, and, and just studies have shown that there seems to be this correlation to churches and folks that pray and, and miracles and, and change lives. Uh, modern history, um, probably one of the most famous stories in the last 50 years of a dramatic healing from prayer is a gal that by the name of Barbara Snyder who had like one of the worst cases of MS possible. Uh, it was so bad that her, one of her doctors who had performed over 25,000 surgeries said she was the most hopeless case she had ever seen in her life. And her hands were curled, her feet were cold, she couldn't walk, uh, she couldn't talk, she had a breathing tube, uh, she had to hold her throat in order for her to speak, she couldn't see very well. And yet folks were praying for her. And, and, and let me just share, there's a little video clip of her here in an interview with Lee Strobel. June 7th, 1981, I'll never forget it. It was a day like any other day for me. That was one spent confined to bed, unable to breathe on my own, hooked up to machines, a tracheostomy tube in my neck, my arms curled up, my legs curled up. I lay there trapped inside my own body is really how it felt. I had two friends over, they came over all the time. They were from my church. My church family never forgot me. So while they were there, I still remember exactly what they were reading when all of a sudden um, I heard a booming, authoritative, loud voice over my shoulder over here say, my child, get up and walk. And there was nobody else in the room. And there was no one else in the room, and the door was over here. There were windows over this way. And instantly I knew it was God. But instantly I also knew that my friends didn't hear that, hmm. which is kind of interesting, too. Yeah. Um, and I needed to share with them what I heard. Well, I had this tracheostomy tube in my neck. That's how I breathed. And I had hands that did not work. So my friends said whenever I looked agitated, they knew I wanted to talk. So they'd come and plug the hole in my neck. And I said, I don't know what you're going to think about this, but God just told me to get up and walk. And my friends got really quiet. <laughs> I know. But he really did tell me to get up and walk. Run, get my family. I want them to be here. And um, my friends all of a sudden jumped up 
And while they jumped, so did I. I was so excited, I couldn't wait for anyone. And I literally jumped out of the bed. This, this is where you'd almost have to have known me to see how totally impossible that was. So this time, I remember reaching up and pulling my oxygen off my neck. I remember that. And then I jumped toward the voice. My friends are over here, but I jumped towards the voice. And as I jumped up, the first thing I remember isn't what I would think I would remember, but I jumped out of the bed and I looked and I saw my feet. They were flat on the ground, just like everyone else's, which sounds normal, but not for me. I had foot drops so badly I couldn't even wear slippers on my feet. They were so curled. So when I jumped up to have feet flat, I was amazed and stood staring at my feet. And when I did that, I jumped like this, and then I saw my hands. And they were open, and they never opened. And so now they were open, and I stood staring at them, and then it dawned on me I could see me. That's what I would have thought I would have noticed mm. first, was my vision. But I didn't. It I was noticed, back. You could see. It was back. I was perfectly fine. And I stood staring again for a little while, just feeling what it felt like to look at and see me. And then I turned, and that's when we were like women. We all started jumping up and down, screaming and thanking the Lord. I remember I didn't understand anything, except where once I was real sick, I was well again. And it has to be God. That's all I knew. Yeah. Two of her doctor, doctors actually after that actually ended up writing, writing books about her case because it was such a tremendous miracle. And there's, there's thousands of stories like that. I mean, there just seems to be this correlation between prayer and miracles. And so it doesn't hurt to head over and get prayer from the prayer folks here. And if God doesn't answer your prayer and you're not healed in that moment, don't get discouraged. I mean, just, just keep coming back. I mean, it's just part of the humanness, and we see that in scriptures, that sometimes you have to pray a lot for something to happen, and there are times where you pray forever and it doesn't happen. But sometimes when you pray, stuff does happen, and, and people can be healed. And so uh, this is just part of the reason prayer has been an important part of the, the history of the church. And the other reason uh, prayer has been so important is that prayer, it really brings this idea of bringing heaven to earth. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, he said, uh, this then is how you should pray. I mean, if you want a lesson on how to pray, Jesus himself, you know, this, this divine being, God in the flesh, gives a little lesson on how to pray. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That we are actually to be praying for God's will to be done on earth, just as his will is done in heaven. Which brings up a really interesting question is, why do we have to pray for God's will to be done? Doesn't he just do whatever he's going to do anyways? No, he doesn't. God's will is not always done. Just pretty much in every page of the Bible, there are examples of God's will not being always done. But Jesus is teaching here that if we want to see more of God's will done, then pray. And this is why the early church prayed so hard, because they wanted to see God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven. And so this is part of our prayer. God, would your will be done in my life? God, would heaven appear in our midst today? God, would heaven show up at work? Would the kingdom be a reality here that Jesus taught us to pray that way? All through the scripture, we see this uh, example. Um, 
Uh, Jack Hayford said it this way, prayer is essentially a partnership of the redeemed child of God working hand in hand with God towards real, the realization of his redemptive purposes and on earth. In other words, he's saying God's redemptive purposes don't just automatically always happen. That we partner with him, that God has partnered with us, that when we pray, God releases things. If we don't pray, sometimes that is not released. And we see this all over the scripture, this idea. For instance, in Matthew chapter 9, uh, Jesus says, pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send out more workers into his fields. Now, it's pretty obvious that more workers being sent out in the field is God's will. That's God's desire. But why does Jesus say we have to pray for that to happen? Because that's the way God often works. That in order for his will to be done, someone needs to pray. Because uh, God is someone who partners with us. And so even for things that are clearly his will, we got to pray. So again, there's this idea that prayer brings God's will to bear on a situation. That prayer brings heaven to earth. Uh, lots of examples of this, like Second Thessalonians. Uh, Paul says, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored. Now, is it God's hope that the message of the Lord would spread and be honored? Absolutely. <laughs> but Paul says, we actually got to pray for that to happen. Again, that we pray that God's will might be done on earth as it is in heaven, just as Jesus said. Or Colossians 4. Uh, pray for us, Paul says, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we might proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Now, again, clearly it's God's will that doors would be open. Clearly it's God's will that Paul would proclaim it clearly. But Paul says, in order for God's will to be happened, we need to pray. Pray that God would open a door. Pray that I would speak those messages clearly. We know that God wants doors open. We know that God wants messages to be uh, said clearly. But he says, we got to pray. Prayer brings heaven to earth. Or for Timothy chapter 2, Paul says, I urge then first of all, the petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. And, you know, it's, it's God's will that we live peaceful and quiet lives, you would think. Uh, but again, Paul says, for that to happen, we got to pray that we need to be people who are praying for our government. And we've got to be praying for and being thankful for all people and praying for those in authority. And the early church did that. And, and, and sometimes we forget to pray for our governments. And we're more interested in praying about things that are going on in our own lives. But again, for God's will to be done in the nations and in the world, uh, Paul's saying we've got to be praying and we've got to be united and serious about, about that. John Wesley took this idea so seriously. John Wesley is one of the big head honchos of like the Wesleyan movement, uh, one of the most famous missionary preachers ever. He says, God is limited by our prayer life. It seems he cannot do, he can, he, he, it seems he can do nothing for humanity unless someone asks him to. I mean, he took the theology so serious that it just seems in the Bible that there's all these things that are God's will, but but then we got to pray for them to happen. And Jesus himself thought that we have to pray for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. That he concluded in, from his ministry that it just seems things happened when you prayed and things didn't happen when you didn't pray. Some more examples like Philippians 4. Uh, Do not be anxious about anything, 
But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Again, uh, I think it would be God's will that we wouldn't be anxious people. It seems to be God's will that we would have this peace of God, which transcends all understanding. But Paul says here, in order for God's will to happen, that we wouldn't be anxious and be full of peace, the missing ingredient is prayer. Again, this idea that prayer brings heaven to bear in our situation. Prayer brings forth God's will. That it's, it's uh, dangerous, if you will, for us to be folks that just say, well, God's will is going to happen anyways. That's actually not the testimony of Scripture. That we need to pray in order to release heaven in situations. And I think this is why that there's just all these commands and, and requests and verses that just say, would you pray? Would you pray a lot? We should be praying a lot. <laughs> like Romans 12, 12. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Or Ephesians 6, always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Or 1 Timothy 2, I want men and women everywhere to pray. Philippians 4, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Colossians 4, devote yourselves to prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5, pray continually. And, uh, and I guess my hope for this year, and hopefully your hope for your, your coming year, is that we want to see more of God's will being done. Uh, we want to see heaven released in earth, in this church, in our community, in our family member. And, and Jesus just said, pray for that. And we've got to be praying for our family. We've got to be praying for our country. We've got to be praying for our community and praying and for this church and uh, to pray that God's will would be done. And the more we pray, we'll probably see more miracles. We'll probably see more of his will done. And that's a good thing.